Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Big Sister Hotline is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty of these lands has never been ceded. I pay my respects to Elders past and present. The Hotline is proud to be an ongoing supporter of Jira, an Aboriginal-controlled community organisation where culture is shared and celebrated. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal and Black Lives Matter. Big Sister Hotline, how can we help? Hello, dear listeners, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. You're listening to the Big Sister Hotline, a weekly podcast offering frank, funny, and feminist advice on life, love, and whether or not you should break up with your no-good Nick boyfriend. Spoiler. We know that the answer is always yes. I recently had on the podcast Aileen Quinn, who runs Tinder Translator uh, over on Instagram, which if you're not following yet, you absolutely must be. She really tears apart all of the horrific Tinder profiles that you'll find on that godforsaken app, but also um, has been doing a lot of story series lately about, shall we just say, men's shortcomings. Anyway, on that podcast, she mentioned an Instagram account called 30 Something Single, which I'd never heard of before, but on her recommendation began following. And let me just tell you, it's fucking amazing. 30 Something Single is a woman from England who, similarly to Tinder Translator, I guess, teases apart the uh, the attitudes and practices of men in the dating world and on dating apps in particular and comes at it from the perspective of someone who is also a fat positivity campaigner and who discusses fat phobia in the dating world too. So I started following her account, loved everything that she had to say and began having, you know, quite fun uh, and deep and meaningful messages with her in, in her inbox um, and I invited her to be on the podcast and she is joining us today. Her name is Kate. We are only going to be using first names today because she wants to protect her anonymity uh, regarding work which is absolutely fine of course. We are big sisters and we've got you back. So Kate is joining me now from Birmingham. Kate how the bloody hell are you? Very very well indeed. Very excited to be here with you. It's just so nice that you know all of this technology that we can use now means that I can be recording in my kitchen at 10 o'clock at night and you can be literally halfway across the world. But I can speak to all of these incredible women who are doing amazing, interesting things and performing wonderful public services for the world. And the public service, obviously, that you perform is educating women about uh, 
garbage men on dating apps, but also providing a space for them to be seen and to and to understand that, that their experiences are not unique and it doesn't, you know, there's nothing wrong with them. Exactly. Thank you so much for saying that. Because I think that is the magic of 30-something single, that I post something and then 100 women will say, oh my goodness, that happened to me yesterday. And when you're on your own and you're dealing with these things, you feel like it's about you and it's not. And when you see that there's a pattern and there's something else happening, that's where the power and the magic of 30-something single is, I think. And it doesn't matter what stage of your life you're in. It doesn't matter how much, you know, quote, unquote, quote, unquote, work you've done as a feminist or as a a sort of a on your process to self-love it doesn't even matter really how many times you've kind of been through the gamut of disappointment with people and figured at some point that well you know this just keeps happening um you still feel ultimately oh it's me I'm just a big piece of shit that no one can love exactly if I wasn't this if I wasn't that all of it it's very easy to be sat on your own on your sofa swiping through these dating apps thinking well I'm the common denominator why are all these men speaking to me like this there must be something wrong with me and Mm. I felt really kind of oh well if I wasn't fat if I was less kind of forward about what I wanted if I was more amenable um, and laughed and smiled at all these shitty jokes that were making me really uncomfortable then maybe that it would all be better but you when you realize that there's actually these patterns of behavior going on some of which are even learnt and very purposeful like gaslighting and negging and all that pickup artist stuff but also just kind of the general shittiness of it as well that's just from living in a patriarchy Mm. I think it's so powerful to have given things names and to show that there's a pattern and that other people are experiencing exactly the same um, because then it's it's not about me, it's about something external and it doesn't have to affect my self-worth and how I feel about myself. Any woman who's experienced the true hellscape that is dating apps and just dating generally in a patriarchy if you are attracted to men, whether or not you're also attracted to women, if you happen to be attracted to men, then you'll have gone through something like this probably. That when you say, why why is he speaking to me like this or why does this keep happening to me, you don't just mean, well, why don't I get a boyfriend? Why don't I have a, a live-in lover? Why aren't I married, et cetera, et cetera? It's not, a, it's not these superficial desires for you know the, the the kind of nuclear model that we've been taught not not even necessarily taught that we want but taught to want in order to mm-hmm. secure happiness i feel like what you're actually saying is why am i why is he speaking to me like i'm less than nothing and that is actually a real pattern for a lot of men who are dealing a lot of cishet men who are dealing with women in these spaces is that they treat you like you're subhuman yeah 100% uh it might sometimes it's it's a sexualization it's the objectification it's uh the fat phobia and the fetishization the kind of i i I made a meme about it because the the most common conversation i have on an app is do you want to fuck no hello no nothing just do you want to fuck me absolutely not 
them, well, you're fat anyway, why would anyone want you? I wouldn't even if I was drunk, I wouldn't even if I was forced to or I was it's just disgusting. I don't want to hear that level of violence and mm. and and it's it's obscene that I take days and sometimes weeks off the apps because I know that if I'm not feeling great, if I'm a bit run down or tired, I literally can't cope with the level of abuse that I get on the dating apps. And I'm not mm. unique in that. I think lots of people are experiencing this. Yeah. And you write and you post on 30 something single on your Instagram page. You do post about fat phobia in dating. Uh, and I don't want to downplay that or minimize the particular violence that is expressed through fat phobia by these men. But I just also want to make the point that the, the root problem here is misogyny and entitlement. And men will let, or these kinds of men, oh, I can't believe I just not all mend myself, but mm-hmm. these kinds of men will grab on to the first obvious thing that they see that they've been taught that they can dehumanise in order to punish someone for rejecting them. And and that is the level that we're at in society. That is where we are at in society where there are so many hundreds of thousands, if not millions, probably millions of men who think that all they need to do and that they are in fact entitled to do is to rock up to some woman's dating app profile and say, want to fuck And when she says, absolutely not, that's disgusting, or, you know, treat me like a human being, he will automatically reach for the first thing he can to make her feel like garbage. Exactly. So it's about rejection. It's about fragile ego. And it just happens that the society that I live in, one of the worst things you can be as a woman is fat. And so that's what's reached for. It's not because of, like you say, it's the the other things that are going on underneath that and I get uh, I get to speak to lots of women through my um, Instagram account which is a huge privilege and women of all sizes uh, receive that well you're fat it's nothing to do with what you actually look like it's all about um, not being able to deal with rejection and feeling entitled to another person's body in a way that you're just completely not yeah I was just going to give you a pity fuck like (laughs) Well, well, oh, sad me now that I don't get to experience that joy. Let's go back, Kate, to the beginning. Uh, What caused you to join the apps? Um, Because there is a particular story. And I guess your experience from that point to starting 30-something single that is is now, you know, and and continues to grow um, as – a meeting site really for women to be able to share those stories and to be guided by you to feel that sense of solidarity, which is so important. And I really want to talk about that later, that that way that sites like Instagram in particular have enabled women to connect with each other and feel stronger. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of um, a bit of a deep breath. Here's the kind of story because it's not maybe what the story that people are expecting to hear. But I just want to clarify for the listeners as well, sorry, that um, there is a content note on some of uh, the story that is about to be introduced. And I did check with you beforehand that you Mm -hmm. were okay to talk about this. So I don't want anyone to feel like I've just sprung this on you. This is is a pre-planned conversation. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, So almost six years ago now, my long-term partner, um, passed away and it was really unexpected so he wasn't poorly um, 
I mean, he was poorly, uh, but he was poorly for about 24 hours. Um, and he passed away. I was 26 at the time. And it kind of overnight, I went from um, having just moved to a new city, following him because he was um, embarking on some study, to kind of having this mapped out of, I'm going to do this, we're going to get married, we're going to have children, to all of that disappearing and being homeless because I was living in his house. Um, and so I moved back to Birmingham and I was really sad, unsurprisingly. Um, and I tried not to, I had this big thing about not making it about me, like the, the sad thing had happened to someone else. And I wanted to be respectful of that and, and not making it about me, but it was really hard and it was really, really sad. And I was just desperate to feel anything but sad. Um, and some of that was getting really, really into my job. But some of it was swiping on Tinder with no boundaries, whilst really sad and... And in pain. Yeah. And those apps are dangerous when you're in that position. If you've not decided what your boundaries are, if you're just looking for anyone to make you feel anything other than sad, you end up, and I did end up in lots of situations that are really sad and I wish hadn't happened. Um, and this kind of uh, ended when someone that I was hooking up with, and this sounds ridiculous now to say it in hindsight, but someone I was hooking up with was evicted um, from their house and I let them move in with me and this became a relationship. Um, and we lived together uh, well we lived together for two years and at this two-year point it was very clear that I'd been in therapy I was now in a different place I had new boundaries I was asserting those boundaries and um, when I was no longer the person that was like yeah you can do whatever you want you can cheat on me I can continue paying all the rent I can pay your child support for you that's fine bring drugs into the house I don't care about anything I'm this chill girl that just just wants to be loved once I wasn't that person anymore and started standing up to him that relationship became violent and um, I moved in with my friend and it took me and my landlord, who was also my friend, um, about eight months to get him out of the house as I was paying for kind of two houses, trying to juggle everything, living in a different city, commuting in for work. It was really difficult and also trying not to let everyone else know that this was going on because I felt a shit ton of shame about the whole thing even though I wasn't the one that should have been feeling shame in this situation but I was um, and so when I was living with my friend and we were in the process of getting him out this is like almost 18 months ago now um, I was on tinder again but I was in a different place uh, yes, it was a bit of a distraction and it was uh, more fun than it had been before. But I'd done a lot of work. I'd been in this situation where I'd had this lovely relationship and that had ended really surprisingly. And then this awful relationship. And I knew for the first time that if I wasn't going to be in a relationship ever again, I would still be happy. And that is such a different place to be swiping from because then you're not you're not just saying yes to everyone when someone says um and like these are actual examples as a first message kind of wank on your tits you're not like 
well that sounds like a good way to spend two hours you're just like absolutely not fuck off (laughs) um it's just a different place and you start seeing these things so I started reading out some of the conversations I was having to my friend and her dad and they were laughing a lot about them and then I started screenshotting them and sending them on whatsapp to my friends and everyone was like one I can't believe that this is what's happening and two that's really funny we like how you speak to these men and I wondered whether other people would think they were funny too so I started putting them on Instagram um, and didn't expect that 11 months on I would have so many followers and so many people saying oh we've had similar experiences to you or um, you've you've helped me see this thing that's happening in my uh, relationship that I'm no longer going to be accepting of or I hadn't thought about that in this way before thank you and and all the solidarity it's amazing and, and what a privilege to be able to share with those women those things and also just some light relief of being able to laugh at the ridiculous things that happen on these apps as well. Firstly I just want to say thank you so much for sharing uh, you know what what is obviously still a very deep well of pain for you, particularly in terms of your ex-partner passing away. I'm really sorry. It struck me when you were talking about that, when you said that you didn't want to make it about yourself because it had happened to someone else, that I thought that was interesting because it quite clearly happened to you. You lost the person that you loved. I think it's completely normal. And obviously you saved on a lot of therapy amazing. We love therapy. It is really normal to have a trauma response that involves self-harm. And in this particular case, self-harm was having no boundaries and, um, you know, experiencing, I suppose, the true depths of what men can sink to. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was very pleased to, to hear that after a time you were able to re-establish those boundaries for yourself. And what I think is so powerful is that you do model that now to other women. And I want to talk with you about the solidarity that has risen up in those groups. You know, I I came across your account because um, I started following uh, Aileen, a Tinder translator, and she she spoke about you when she was on the podcast and I was like, well, I don't know that account yet, so I started following you and was immediately blown away by how insightful you are about these men, but also as your friends said and as your friends clocked about you, how fucking funny you are about it too. Like the dryness with which you respond to them is truly rib tickling. Um, I'm glad I'm not just amusing myself. (laughs) No, 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 not, not at all. And I think that, you know, the other thing about it is that like I said earlier, it doesn't matter how old you are or how much work you've done on yourself. We've all been conditioned by the patriarchy that we live in and we can know something to be true in our head, but we can still feel that prickly response in ourselves that, you know, it's us or there's something wrong with us or, well, if he said this thing to me, then maybe it's true. Maybe I am a giant piece of shit or whatever. I mean, I I tend to not feel that way anymore, but I have a lot I guess, you know, I'm I'm older and I've done a lot of that work that you talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is so much power in being surrounded by other women who are able to not only feel that solidarity but are able to share in the laughter. For me, I find laughter is such an important political tool 
because it really does it's like putting after sun on after you've been sunburnt you know it like takes the sting right out of it it does it absolutely takes the power away and and a lot of the time because we've gone you know what this is a pattern albeit not in that language it's like watching a toddler have a tantrum in front of you and try and manipulate you you're like i i could have predicted word for word everything you've just said <laughs> I'm not hurt it's not going to affect me I'm not going to carry this into any other part of my day it's just funny watching you do it because it's so predictable it's so textbook I think we uh, joked um, on Instagram about how they've all read the same book Mm. Um, it definitely feels like that sometimes Mm. the other thing as well that you are really good at doing and that I think you're you know I don't want to I don't want to just keep repeating the same thing which is that you're performing this amazing public service but you literally are performing this amazing public service. One of the things that your account does so well is it exposes uh just how bad a lot of men are at sex. <laughs> but attitude that they seem to have that all they need to do as you said is just turn up to your, you know, to your message inbox and say want to fuck or say something vaguely sort of <sighs> I don't want to use the word complimentary, but but it's as if they think that it's complimentary because they're sort of positively sexualizing you. Um, and then, of course, the moment that you reject them, they'll they'll be sure to negatively whip out everything that they can. But but actually, what you advocate for women to do is to press further. Like one of your posts, which I really loved, was saying, "Ask men all of the different ways that they make women orgasm," and yeah. then you then you included this series of slides of responses men had given you it was literally horrifying but also hilarious oh my goodness I I asked so many people uh, so many heterosexual men that question and I have one friend who um, mentioned the clitoris and oral sex absolutely no one else did it and it was just one guy was like I like to like really look into her eyes I'm like like are you superman who got like some beams what is that and i just think sometimes we want to hook up sometimes you especially like we've all been quarantining for so long and like you miss touch and all of those things there's nothing wrong with hooking up at all if you're not doing it in that dangerous way that i was previously like there's safe ways to hook up with people but it's it's effort (laughs) and i'm not expending that energy to have sex with someone that doesn't understand their own pleasure and isn't interested in mine. Like, I don't want to run a, a basic Pornhub scenario with you in which no one's actually having fun um, and I don't orgasm. <laughs> like, it's, I, don't, I like just don't have time for that. Um, but you know, that is so true that it's it's not just about them not understanding our pleasure like one one guy it was my favorite one said oh, i just bounce her up and down on my dick until it happens it's like literally never made a woman come she's just pretended she has to stop the bouncing it's not just that they don't understand our pleasure you are so right when you say they don't even have a working understanding of their own pleasure they yeah. they are so many of these men do just want to play out porn scenes that they've seen on free amateur porn sites. And look, I've got nothing against 
porn as a concept. I've watched some really good porn. I think that ethical porn is great. It's an -hmm. an excellent addition to a healthy, positive sex life. Mm -hmm. But a lot of porn is really fucking problematic and it's rooted in misogyny and it it operates in a misogynistic capitalist system which relies on the degradation of anyone who's not a cis white het man basically Mm -hmm. in order to make money and porn especially relies on the degradation of women. Yeah. Clearly it's... It, it, and clearly it's being overly, like, too watched by young men because they are, as you said, playing out all of these porn scenes in bedrooms all across the world, or not even bedrooms. But no one talks about how that's actually not about anyone's pleasure at all. No one's having fun. Yeah, I, I honestly don't believe it. I, I, um, I'd be interested to see whether this makes uh, your podcast cut, but I have a, a new question. Well, it's not a new question, but it will be a new question that I'm going to put onto the app. But one of the um, questions that I ask people that I might be interested in having sex with, um, asking a heterosexual man, do you like a finger up the bum? Is an excellent mm-hmm. question because you learn so much um, about whether they are interested in their own pleasure if someone's like I've tried it or that's not for me or whatever cool fine it doesn't have to be but the amount of responses that you get where they're like oh no that's disgusting I'm not gay and you just learn so much about someone Uh when you have that interaction you're learning about how they view sexuality and also about how they view their own masculinity um, and how fragile that masculinity is so I actually think that's a great question to ask as well as how do you make a woman come I'm definitely going to include this bit on on the the final part it's fascinating it's it's kind of like comes back to what Aileen was doing with her hygiene stories and for anyone who hasn't who doesn't follow Tinder Translator on Instagram and, and obviously also if you don't follow 30 something single then please go and follow both of those women um one of the stories that Aileen did recently was about hygiene and the number of men who don't adequately if at all wipe their own butts after taking a shit sorry to be blunt but because it's gay to touch their own butthole I I mean that is like an astonishing that is an astonishing thing that this this is that that would even be a thing that lots of people are aware of you know that that women were saying to her yeah that my partner my partner did my husband was like how did these men get married for a start but secondly that goes hand in hand with an obsession with heterosexual men fucking women up the ass so it's not gay to fuck a woman up the ass. Mm-hmm. That's not gay. That's proving your masculinity. That's playing out porn scenarios. That's that's dominating in a in a way that reasserts his power. But anything where he perceives himself to be penetrated, i.e. treated like a woman or treated like a gay man, is disempowering to him and uh, it cannot even be discussed because what are you suggesting about him and his masculinity? It's so very fragile. It is. And it's an excellent way to get a shitty man to block you on an app if you're done with the um, sexualization um, conversations that come up, if they're asking you lots of things they would like to do to you, if you mention that. It's a good way <laughs> for them to instantly block you. Um, yeah. But, I mean, if you've not explored your own pleasure and you're not interested in your own pleasure, and I, I think I said this to you before, like sometimes I feel like being a heterosexual man 
sprain is like sitting down in jeans that are too tight like I can't do this because I might look like this and I've got to respond like this and oh I best not have an emotional response to this and oh don't touch my butt like it, <laughs> it makes no sense and it must be really exhausting um but also I don't have time to deal with that I'm not here to educate someone or bring someone along in like if, if that's where you are um, then that's not a sexual relationship or an, a relationship that I'm going to be getting into. Mm, it's incredible how challenging it feels. Even someone like me who, you know, is a pretty well-known feminist, certainly here in Australia, and who I think people would probably not assume would have any of those insecurities about speaking to men. But, of course, I'm still someone who has been socialised by patriarchy and I – I don't want to live with men and I don't really want to have a relationship with a man, but I would like to have intimate, you know, I'm attracted to men and women and I would like to have intimate connections with men. Unfortunately, that means having to deal with men. I'm very challenged by, because of those years of social, socialization and what I learned about myself as a teenage girl, which we'll get into with some of the questions, but that sort of, sublimating myself, you know, being the cool girl, as you talked about before, making sure that I, I never put a man out if I'm interested in him romantically because I would, you know, it's like I said to a friend the other day, I would rather die than let someone know how I feel about them. I'm really inspired by, I don't mean inspired is such a weird word, but I am overwhelmed by the challenge that you lay down but, but intrigued by it too and I want to demand it of myself to actually be able to put it out there, what I want, you know, and to have those conversations where it, yes, if they if they come away from them thinking, oh, she's a little bit too intense or she's too demanding or she's this or that or the other, then that's fine. Yeah. Because, because also in the world that we live in, a woman being quote unquote too demanding is her literally just saying, can you spend some time with me before you fuck me? Yeah. Yeah. Uh just it's just holding someone to very basic account <laughs> it's it's like really... that post up the other day about the guy who said to you that you know he didn't want to um he didn't want to hang out with you and and kiss you because you might get feelings for him and you know you knew that he didn't want that I, that's a, a complicated one so he's like been a friends with benefits situation for quite some time and i'm like i've I, I just find that bizarre. So he's saying, I will come round. Um, I definitely won't come round before 9pm because if you come round before 9pm, that's girlfriend-boyfriend territory. Exactly. If um, <laughs> um, And then when we do come round, it's kind of like, let's sit still on the sofa, not touching each other until someone says, are we going upstairs? And that's just not... <laughs> how I get turned on like that's not how <laughs> most people get turned on as far as I'm aware um and I'm like I've known you for eight years I literally like we I I don't know what your job is I don't know the names of your children like I, in what world do you think that I'm trying to make you my boyfriend <laughs> it makes no sense to me at all um and also like I kind of really 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 want to snog him now because like how how powerful is his kissing <laughs> like <laughs> I don't oh, know I can't kiss you Kate 
I can't kiss you. I've I've done that before, and trust me, the fallout don't want it. <laughs> but this like he was not thinking that in that way through his head, but it's actually what's coming out of his mouth. Like <laughs> this kiss is so powerful, she wouldn't be able to cope with it. I just, uh, I think it's wild. I feel like I've been in that situation quite a few times, yeah. uh, and it's it's humiliating isn't it? And it's humiliating while you're in it. And it's humiliating when you're sitting here, even at 39 years old and looking back on it and realizing how you sort of, it's again, it's like, there are so many different degrees of the frog in the boiling water, yeah. but it's still, it's still a situation of the frog in the boiling water. Like no one sits down when they're thinking about what kind of intimate relationship or part, oh, not partnership, intimate, intimate connection they want to have with someone. No one probably sits down and thinks, well, I really want someone who um, will hold me at arm's length, treat me like shit, and act as if anything beyond them just sticking their dick in me is going to be too much. Um, I mean, obviously, there's always outliers. Maybe some people do want that. That's fine. You do you. But in most situations, it, like that doesn't present itself in the first date. Like when it's happened for me, it's that the initial attraction has been there, the frisson, the physical connection, everything, you get the, the deep emotional conversations, they lure you into the trap. And then it's like Tracy Egan Morrissey years ago, 10 years ago, wrote an article for Jezebel called The Emotional Conquistador as the New Sexual Conquistador. And she basically made this argument that, because women can have as much sex as they want now and they can have sex with anyone they like, there's no conquest in men getting a woman into bed. So the conquest has become getting her to emotionally submit to him and, and he will do that by pretending to her that he is emotionally opening himself in a way that he never has with anyone else before until the point where he's got her in the palm of his hand and he can turn around and can say, you know what, it's actually just... I'm, it's just getting a little bit too serious for me. I need to take a step back and then he'll just ghost her. Yeah. He'll probably come back for one more time, one more time just to really keep her on the hook and then he'll just disappear. Once she decided to emotionally withdraw. Yeah. Yeah, been there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely. I I am hesitating and thinking that because I'm doing the thing that happens to me all the time in my DMs where I'm going, uh, people drop in and say, oh, you know, that last post that you put up, I actually think you were speaking to my ex because he said exactly the same things to me. And I'm like, babe, we don't live in the same continent. It's It's not your ex. They've all read the same book. And that's exactly what I was doing as you were telling that story. You could have been talking about very specifically about relationships that I've had, even though you were speaking very generally. Well, this is the thing. We are actually all just dating the one same man and sharing him around. Like, <laughs> like a, I don't know if that's more depressing than the I know. They're just all the same. I know. I know. I, uh, we'll get to the questions. Yeah. Did you have one more thing to say? I was just going to say, I just want a t-shirt that says, kissing makes me wet. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it is. I don't, I don't want to marry you and have your babies, but it does make the sex better. <laughs> it is one of the many, many examples of men's outrageous audacity. They seem to think that women are so desperate 
to lock them down into some kind of relationship, that even having their lips pass anywhere near their own lips will suck their soul out of their body like a dementor. You know, I cannot, I cannot possibly put my lips twixt your lips. <laughs> too much, too much. Let's do the questions. Yeah. Please note my disclaimer in very big flashing lights that neither I nor Kate are doctors, counsellors, or professionally trained sex therapists. We're just two women who've got a little thing called life experience and who are tired of men being garbage. Okay, this is quite a long one, so I've tried to condense it as much as I can. Hate to be hated writes, my partner and I have been together 13 years. We're both 37, have a 14-month-old daughter, and our relationship is generally great. We have a happy home, great communication, have never raised our voices at each other and everything was awesome, but we're wrestling with one big issue. A few weeks after my father died, my partner went out with work colleagues. He didn't get home till almost midday the next day, and this has never happened before. He said he stayed at his workmate's place in the city, and I had no reason to question this. But that night, as we hugged before bed, his chest was thumping so hard I could feel it rattling on my chest. I laid awake with a sinking feeling that something was really out of place. My suspicions continued and I crossed my own values of respecting his privacy and started to look for answers on his laptop. On his Facebook Messenger, there was a very short conversation between him and his mate where he had his friend agree to back up his story of where he'd stayed that night. I discovered a plethora of porn too, a secret part of his laptop where he hid our sex photos and videos and cheeky selfies that I'd taken for him. The last folder contained altered and de-identified photos of me with my tattoos blurred and no head, etc. And four topless photos of a lady I used to work with. I thought he was having an affair. I contacted her and we discussed the photos in his laptop. I sent them to her and she said they were taken by her ex-partner and she has no idea how they came to be in his possession. He admitted to me that the photos were from a controversial porn site he frequents called Aussie Sluts, a site where men post photos and videos of women without their consent. He claims to have never posted the de-identified photos. I have no issue with porn and am an avid consumer as well. What really struck me was his blatant consumption of exploited women and actively participating in that community. I wanted an answer as to why, and he reflected that he felt that the candidness of real people gave a level of intimacy. He told me he had a lot of performance hang-ups and that these thoughts would intrude, overwhelm and impact his erections and stamina, which explained why our sex life had dwindled. But we worked through all these issues and had a baby. I am usually a sexually driven person, but after my daughter came, my sex drive is waning. I've communicated several times that I need some help getting in the mood and want him to initiate with me as I did with him. But she's 14 months old now and I'm still waiting for any meaningful attempts to support me with this. Big sister, I am still grappling with this. It's had a significant impact on my self-image and self-worth. Some days I feel an overwhelming pain and anxiety that stops me in my tracks and really fucks up my day. I've seen a counsellor, but I feel like I've not really healed from any of this in any way. I feel like I'm doing all of the relationship work and he gets the reward of improving his sexual function while I get left behind. My level of distrust is multi-layered. I feel like I can't trust him to support me with this and quite frankly, do not trust him to respect me or other women when he thinks no one is watching. I absolutely intend to raise my daughter with a healthy self-image and to be sexually liberated, enjoy sex and have lots of it. But I tremble at the thought of being disingenuous when teaching her about trusting relationships, when I have a distrust of men and their bullshit toxic bonding rituals. Am I just leaning into the pain? Do you ever really heal from deep betrayals? 
Porn is often just porn to people. How do we start to have open conversations on the ethical consumption of it? How do I respond to myself when these feelings reemerge? I don't know how to deal with this without it completely unraveling me for a day. How do I even begin to teach my daughter about trusting relationships when I don't truly know what one looks like? Kate. Kate. It's a lot, isn't it? The first thing I want to say is it just shouldn't have happened to you. It shouldn't. No one had the right to do that. And I'm sorry that it did. And I'm also angry that when people hear this podcast, we're going to be in a situation again where hundreds or thousands of women say, yeah, that happened to me as well. Mm. Um, and that makes me cross. I What struck me when I was reading it, well, two things struck me. One, I've been there and I've had that happen. I had a partner who posted pictures that we'd taken together um, and I found them one day when my laptop wasn't working and I was using his and um, they were on a site where other men were commenting underneath of the things they wanted to do to me and he was responding to those comments and um, like cajoling them, encouraging them to say grosser things. Um, so it's horrible, it hurts, it's a betrayal. It's it's a complete lack of respect for you as a person and it shouldn't have happened. Um, and the other thing that struck me when I was reading it was kind of, I, I understand that relationships are complicated, um, but you didn't seem to be saying, oh, I'm staying for this, I'm staying for this. You said, I'm staying and it's hurting or it's I'm staying and it's getting better for him, but not for me. And I, I, if we were here together now, I would ask you that question. Why are you staying? Um, mm. I don't want to guess what the answers are. Mm. I mean, the thing is, it could be any number of mm-hmm. different answers. And I think one of the possibilities, I'm not saying that's the possibility here, like you, I don't know, but one of the possibilities is that the bar is just so incredibly low that a lot of women seem to believe, have been led to believe that this is just what happens in relationships. She has a 14-month-old daughter as well. It's an incredibly fragile time for someone, particularly for a mother. It's a scary prospect to walk out on what it's a scary prospect to walk out on the reality of having another person in the home to sometimes help look after a child. Even though actually a lot of a lot of women who end up leaving with children, particularly when they leave unhappy, disrespectful relationships, do acknowledge the practical difficulties increase in lots of ways, but that the happiness exponentially increases as well. Um, For me, when I was reading this, there were so many red flags that popped out. And Mm -hmm. the first one, it's not so much a red flag, but the first thing that I immediately noticed was that uh, the letter writer, the little sister said that this was the most succinct version of events that she could give. And it is, I've summarized it to read for the, the podcast, but it was a long letter, as you know, Uh, If that's the most succinct version that we can hear of this situation, then that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. And the other red flags as well, of course, are 
you know, the, the most immediate one is that this is a person she's in a relationship with who has not only betrayed her. I mean, we can all deal with betrayal. Betrayal is something that, you know, particularly if you're in a long-term relationship with someone, betrayal is something that can be worked through, I think. But this betrayal happens to involve the exploitation of women who did not consent to their images being shared, one of whom she knows. Mm -hmm. So to me, the biggest red flag is that she's in a relationship with a man who fundamentally disrespects women Mm -hmm. and actively exploits them and participates in their exploitation. I'm very concerned about that and I and I feel quite bereft on her behalf and behalf of all women who are in some similar situation of which I think there would be millions mm-hmm. who have been led to believe that this is normal behavior or who have been convinced by these men that it's not that big a deal that it's just porn it's not porn no. porn is an, an ethical porn you know she has a working understanding of ethical porn obviously he clearly doesn't um, and perhaps she finds it difficult to have that conversation with him but ethical pornography is one in which everyone is consenting everyone is being paid and no one is being disrespected without their permission Mm -hmm. but this is not that this is exploitation this is sexual abuse and they the whole purpose of this site that she mentions is that the women on it don't know that they're on it and the um, the reason that she gives that her partner had said this is what I get from it, it just doesn't make any sense. Like the in my mind, the reason that you do that is because of hostile misogyny, because of the power, because of mm. kind of feelings of violence towards women, um, not not because. Um, these women are very candid and they're because they don't know what's happening like there's I, I just didn't make any sense it's it's a it's a bullshit well, it explanation it was more attractive to him because they were relaxed yeah they were relaxed because they thought that they were taking intimate private photographs for yeah. one person's viewing not for millions of men to gleefully fucking jerk off over because they were getting off on the fact that she didn't know that she was being wanked over by all of them. And also another red flag, the fact that she found photographs of herself where identifying details were blurred out. And he said that he didn't use that for any, I mean, whether or not he did submit photographs of her to a website or not, there was clear intention there. He certainly shared them with somebody, I think. Yeah. The, when you feel these things in your gut and the, often the simplest explanation is the explanation, isn't it? Like these mm. convoluted excuses that we we believe are often, in my experience, not the case. I And, and it's so impactful and so lasting like those that the incident that I told you about was 10 years ago and I still sometimes think I wonder where that image is now because mm. I had those images taken off that website by him but who'd screenshotted that who'd shared it how many other websites were they that those images were on I have no idea or control about that and still 10 years on sometimes I think oh uh better keep my identity secret in case those images do <laughs> resurface or best not do you know what I mean like it, it impacts for such a long time um I yeah 
you know, people always respond to image-based exploitation that has been the, where the exploitation is being perpetrated by men, particularly by groups of men. And the response is always predominantly, well, women, when will you learn? You should stop taking photographs of yourself and sending. And of course, we can never talk as well about how men are pigs because that's not fair because most men are decent and kind and would never do that. Well, if that's true, if most men are decent and kind and would never do that, then how is it that we cannot trust any of them? How is it that you're telling us that we need to be more careful because you know what men will do with those photographs? Either you, either they are decent and trustworthy or they're not. Or what you're saying is men can do whatever they like to women and you can't retaliate against them or you can't ever see them as being bad men. Um, so I found out just this week actually that someone who I had shared intimate photographs with uh, a long time ago um, had and it had always sworn to me and I you know it's sort of kind of I mean I feel naive and foolish as well because you always think you're different you always think you're the exception don't you I knew he was a dirty dog um but I thought stupidly that I thought he respected my mind you know I thought we had a friendship and that we had a connection that was was beyond sort of physical intimacy but that was like a, a mental connection and he always swore I would never show those photographs to anyone, you know, and I trusted him as I should have been able to, as I should, yeah, as every woman, yeah, as every woman who shares intimate photographs with anyone should be able to trust them to not share those with other people. And he always swore, swore black and blue that he'd never shared them. And then, of course, silly me found out this week that not only did he show people he was working with, but he also showed the woman he was cheating on his wife with at the time uh, showed her photographs of me in the context, the incorrect context of, well, she just sends them to me like they're unsolicited to make her, because he had this sort of, he's got this whole like fucking bizarre, like re repulsive, narcissistic, sociopathic spider web of women all around evidently who he plays off against each other. Yeah. And all I can think now is like, well, you're an idiot, Clementine, um, even though I'm not, you know, and, and we should yeah. all be able to trust people. But I just feel like how dare you try and score points with the fucking boys by showing how powerful you are. Like, look at this. Look at all of these women that I can get. And that's exactly what it comes down to. Like, he does give her that excuse of, oh, well, I, I get off on it because it's they're more candid in that position. And, you know, I feel like performance is so stressful for me when we're having sex and then I have erectile problems. So, so the way that I'm going to counter that and restore my power and restore my sense of, like, strong dominating masculinity is go to this website where a bunch of women are being completely exploited and degraded and dehumanized and I'm going to jerk off over them yeah and all of that explanation all of that in inverted commas uh, apology is about oh how sad it is for me not I, I'm so sorry that I disrespected you in this absolutely disgusting way no kind of that we've uh, that's included in what's been written about kind of regret or understanding the implications and impact of what's been doing. There's a lot of minimising and dismissing of it from, from what we've read. Uh, the other thing that I really noticed was 
she just felt like I felt when that relationship was violent and there was all these things that were happening that I thought I'd never be in a position where these things were happening to me um and she just talks and like about losing herself a little bit and I just want to say that when you leave a situation like that and you're like oh my goodness I'm choosing clothes because I like them not because of what a partner thinks of them or I'm not anxious about what I'm putting on the radio because I'm listening to what I want and you're rediscovering all of these things about yourself that aren't just about how you're fitting around uh, the person in your relationship that's being I'm going to say abusive I I, it, I agree it, to me it is um when you're kind of fitting your life around this abusive person and how they want it to be you do lose yourself and that rediscovering of yourself and and like I'm funny I'm interesting I like wearing lots of color I look good all of those things like it feels so good when you start rediscovering those things and you end up thinking I can't believe that I didn't feel like this for so long um so that I, but like you said it's it's so complicated um and there's lots going on and I haven't had to think about leaving a relationship with children or anything like that before so I'm not of course not saying this is what you should do I just want you to know that it feels really good when you're rediscovering yourself after yeah. a shitty relationship I am the kind of person who advocates for all women pretty much to leave their husband so that's definitely the advice that I'm offering <laughs> sister but you know I'm, I'm saying that in a jerky way but but on a serious note I the other things that I'm seeing at the end of her letter is that you know she she talks about how it's had a significant impact on her self-image and self-worth some days she feels an overwhelming pain and anxiety that stops her in her tracks and really fucks up her day like that is yeah. the impact that he's had on her is monumental she said that she's seen a counsellor but there's been no indication that he's gone to therapy. There's no yeah. indication. You know, she says that she's doing all the relationship work. So once again, we have a woman who has been significantly let down in a multitude of ways by her male quote unquote partner, who is not being a partner, by the way. And yet in repairing this relationship, he is doing none of the work, despite the fact that he's the one who destroyed the trust. And she's the one who's having to push the shit uphill. You know, she says that she wants her daughter to grow up with a healthy self-image and to be sexually liberated, enjoy sex and have lots of it. And I think that's wonderful. Of course that's yeah, what you is. want for your daughter. And it sounds like with a mother, with the values that she has and the working understanding that she has of, of sexual liberation and ethical porn, et cetera, et cetera, that she's well on the way to having that opportunity. But what does it mean? This is Okay, I'm not going to tell you to leave your husband, little sister. But I'm just going to throw some questions out there for you to think about because I know you'll be listening to this. What does it mean to want that for your daughter while raising her in a house with a man who you know continues not just to degrade and dehumanise women but to do it to women who don't know that that's what's happening to them? How do those two scenarios fit into your head? And I, and I understand that's a very difficult question and it seems to be the one that you're really grappling with because you finish by saying, Am I just leaning into the pain? Like almost as if you're worried that maybe people have said this to you, I don't know, but that uh, are you just overreacting? Am I just overreacting to this? So firstly I will say absolutely not. You are underreacting, if anything. 
Because my reaction would have been, well, I don't look. It's easy to say what your reaction would be. You don't know what you, what you would do when you when you're actually in the situation with a small baby. But I don't. I do not think that you're overreacting. I think that he is doing literally no work to repair this relationship. He's clearly doing no work to address his addiction to exploiting women. Um, and I think that given this is having such an enormous effect on your anxiety, another question I will ask you before we wrap this question up, before we wrap this segment up is, do you think that there could be some relief for you if you were to have even a temporary separation, if he were to leave the house for a temporary period of time even where you could regroup and you could focus on what it is you want your daughter, what environment you want your daughter to be raised in. And he could also be given the opportunity to realize that this is serious because I feel like what's happening with him is what happens with so many men in so many of situations that have echoes of this or similar strains. And that is that they fuck up significantly. They break the hearts of the women that they live with. And then she does all the work trying to repair the relationship. And he goes, oh, oh got away with that one, didn't I? Got away with that. I'm going to keep getting away with it. And then eventually he's just going to keep doing it. But also I I don't even feel from the bit that I've read that they need couples counselling. Like he needs to be in therapy on his own about why he hates women. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that is a basic minimum. For you to continue, this is the hard, the tough love section of this part. For you to continue in good conscience this relationship and for you to maintain a domestic presence of this man in your daughter's life, he needs to go and have comprehensive therapy at a basic minimum. Like that's not the end of the line for him. That is the start of the line. Yeah. Not for four weeks. Yeah. 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 And even then I would recommend a temporary separation until he really proves that he's really, truly, he's the one who's leaned into the pain inside. And that's, that's, it's a, it is a very tough situation that you're in and they're very difficult questions that you're asking yourself, but you know, there are some, there are some things that you can do to make the answers to those questions appear a little more in reach. This one's not really a question, but I thought that it would prompt a really great conversation. It comes from a 17-year-old girl who writes, I love your podcast and it has changed my worldview completely. I go to an all-girls school and a couple of weeks ago we were watching an Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez speech in class and it raised so many insights into how deeply the patriarchy has hurt us all. We were sharing our experiences of being catcalled and harassed, but most shockingly a few girls admitted that they felt worthless and like they had done something wrong because they hadn't been catcalled. The fact that the patriarchy has taught us from childhood that we need the approval of perverted men to be able to value ourselves is so deeply rooted and needs to be torn down one step at a time. You have definitely made big strides in this regard and are changing the world. Thank you so much for everything you've done. Oh, that's so sweet. Now, I didn't just read that out as a kind of like, look at me, I'm big (laughs) with the 17-year-olds. That sounded weird. (laughs) Did not mean that to sound that weird. But I really, I do think that there are some really great 
points for conversation in there. The first being like, fucking hell, I had none of that insight when I was 17. No, 100% not. We also didn't have AOC. I didn't have that level of understanding at all, but I certainly did have deeply internalized hatred over how I perceived men to like or not like me. Yeah. I can totally um, relate to having kind of an ex- externalized self-worth and it being about who fancies me and who thinks I'm attractive and that kind of the stuff that they're talking about is never a compliment is it the author Gemma Carey was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and we talked about this exact thing she was telling me about this friend of hers who's incredibly accomplished she wouldn't say what publicly what the job that this woman does is but she did tell me privately and it's pretty fucking impressive and high up there and you know, she's like out there as a serious change maker in the world. Um, and she was saying when the Me Too stuff kind of was really ramping up and people were sharing their Me Too stories, that this friend of hers said something basically along the lines on Facebook of, oh, well, I just feel like I've never really had a Me Too experience and that kind of makes me feel like I'm not really attractive. And she wasn't saying it to be flippant. She was expressing a, a, a troubling reality or a troubling view that a lot of women have that, yes, you don't want to be the one that's sexually harassed, but there is some, we are reminded at so many different turns by patriarchy and by the men who are enforcers of patriarchy, that if we are not those women, that there's something wrong with us. That, that the reason, you know, the amount of times I've been told that the only reason I complain, quote unquote, complain about rape culture is because no one would ever rape me is A, a fucking terrifying insight into the way that some men's minds work, but B, reflective of how a lot of people think that it is that the one thing that really upsets women more than anything is being considered unattractive in some way, even if that metric of attractiveness is, yeah, I'd sexually assault her. Yeah, Yeah, it's shocking and horrible. And like you say, it's common. Like I have multiple times been told on the apps, I wouldn't even rape you once um, I've rejected someone. And, And that person saying that at that time believes that that is a hurtful thing because they believe that your self-worth is about whether or not they want to have sex with you and 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 not being able to separate the assault and abuse and sex because they're not the same thing. I always like to say to men who say some variation of those things to me, oh, do you spend a lot of time thinking about who you would and wouldn't rape? Because, of course, these are also men who consider themselves to be very decent, good men and who would argue black and blue that, well, most men, the majority, 99.999% of men are good and decent and would never hurt a woman. But, by the way, I wouldn't even fucking rape you. Yeah. Yeah, I bet they don't like being called out like that either. I can only imagine. It makes me so fucking furious that, firstly, the massive amount of real estate, mental real estate that is being taken up in the heads of girls and women that has been forced into our heads to worry ourselves about this fucking nonsense, you know, that that we are so conditioned from such an early age to view our value in those terms that we we don't even, like it took me a really long time. I don't even think I'm, I'm there yet, but it definitely 
broaching the age of 35 and like heading towards 40 now and having a child as well really for me personally um, helped things in terms of me being able to consider myself as a separate entity to patriarchy and how it conditioned me. But I think for a long time we don't even know what it means to look at ourselves with our own eyes because we are constantly checking in on ourselves with a male gaze. Do you feel that same way? I think I, I think when I did, I definitely wouldn't have articulated it like that or had that insight. I'm so impressed um, that of the little sister that's written in has that kind of that deep understanding of the world. And I always feel like I'm quite late to the party in terms of having the vocabulary and the understanding to talk about feminism and all of these things that I've been feeling. But I definitely recognise that and. I'm in this incredible position of having lots of female friendships that aren't about those things that exist that and and women in my life that really do not give a fuck about male gaze um in terms of not just a kind of on a, a surface level on a really deep level and I've learned so much from those friendships and relationships um but it's not easy it's a long journey and sometimes I feel like a real fraud having 30 something single because I think I I I don't know enough and then I'm still like saying you should be empowered and you should do these things but then it's like making yourself feel those things every day is still Mm. it's still challenging and still hard I don't think Mm. I'm quite as far on my journey with that as you but the last thing I'll say on this is that I love that there are, you know, we said it before, but I love that young women and adolescent girls are having these conversations and, and have been equipped with this language to be able to to discuss this because it means that they're going to get to that stage so much earlier. And, and really what it comes down to a lot of the time is lacking the language and the the ability to articulate this swirling sense of discomfort that you have inside but that you've never been given a framework for and you've never even been told that you're allowed to be discomforted by and to be able to give voice to that and then have it heard by other people and and reciprocated and validated. One of the things that I always say to girls and to young women in particular is that it's very important if you want to survive patriarchy, it's very important for you to have a solid group of women around you to whom you can take your distress and take your experience. And this is sort of what you're curating on Instagram, to take your distress, to take your experience and to take the moments that you need to laugh over and and feel some kind of like tension release over and be able to share them in an environment where you never have to explain yourself. I mean, when I say that, I mean you don't have to navigate people saying, are you sure it happened like that or are you sure you didn't overreact or you don't do that trepidatious thing that women do when, whenever there's a man present where we, we sort of couch our experiences in a way that won't upset him because that's also what patriarchy has conditioned us to do as well, of course, is to take into account his feelings and to sanitise our own so that he doesn't feel somehow unfairly targeted. And that's really important for us to have those people, whether or not it's two people in your life or whether or not it's an Instagram account with 14,000 followers. It's really important to have those people to whom you can say, this is what happened to me. These are my feelings about it. This is what I've learned from it. And have them go, 
Yeah, but uh, oh, sorry, not have them go. Yeah, but are you sure? But instead, say, "Oh my God, that happened to me too." Yeah, it's so powerful. It's the the best thing you can do for yourself, honestly. Um, and you should definitely curate it in your kind of everyday, not virtual life. But come and join me as well because I'm so happy to have you be part of that and. The, the biggest joy of it is one, me feeling less alone and validated and, and kind of more okay with the experiences that I'm having, but then also having women tell me that they're getting the same from that account. That's mm. why I'm continuing to do it. That's, mm. yeah, mm. great advice. Start a feminist club at school. Concerned mother writes, I have an almost 16-year-old daughter and I don't know how to help her see how amazing she is when she's convinced she's fat. I've never been the type of mum to get hung up on my body and I've always tried hard to only speak positively about it around my daughter. Whenever I exercise, I've talked about heart health and how I want my body to be strong rather than talking about weight. But none of it seems to have gotten through. She talks about how all the girls at school are tiny and skinny. She falls into a funk and stops eating for a meal, even though we've talked about how healthy eating is the way to a strong body. I'm not concerned at the moment that she's developing an eating disorder. She mostly eats quite well, but I want to make sure it never turns into anything that I do need to worry about. I want her to exercise because she likes how it makes her feel, not with a goal to lose weight. How can I make her see she's perfect just the way that she is, that her worth is more than her body size? Nothing I say seems to get through to her. She said to me today that she wants to work on her summer body, then rolled her eyes at me when I asked what there is to work on. I said she has a body, and in summer it'll be a summer body. I worry that she feels I'm dismissive when I'm not trying to be. I know you've been through issues such as this, and I would so appreciate any advice you could offer. Kate. Kate. I've got lots of um, thoughts and feelings about this. Um, so one of the first things is that there sounds like there's plenty of healthy things happening there and um, doing the right things. But she's a teenager and I've been a youth worker before. And, and my experience is that so your the daughter is a teenager and when you're a teenager it's not just your parents opinions that matter to you anymore um, you move into a place where your peers and what's happening in society around you is having a much bigger impact than uh, than what your parents are saying I'm not saying that parents don't have an impact of course they do um, but also the amount of time that you're at school and with your friends is much higher than uh, with your parents as well when you're a teenager so of course there are other things that are impacting um it sounds like there's lots of correct things that are being said but I want to reflect that um when I felt similarly as a teenager I was picking up on lots of other things that were happening at home so for example my brother and sister uh, were slim and they would get more sweets and chocolates for Christmas presents and my mum would make sure that I wasn't receiving as, as many as those and so you pick up on other things that are happening and kind of the look you get when you put seconds on your plate and noticing that 
slimmer people at the table don't or um, noticing that my brother's sporting achievements were way more important than any of my academic achievements all of these things kind of add up and tell a narrative and it and you can say one thing uh, but be saying other things in some of your actions and some of your looks I have no idea whether that's happening in this situation but that was my experience I also feel like uh, I didn't grow up in and I know that you similarly as well Kate because you've uh, you released some slides the other day about uh, some zines that you've produced about your experience growing up with fat phobia and you know the trauma that and harm that was done to you because of that um and they were very powerful slides by the way thank you for those I didn't grow up with a family that was body positive at all you know my it was very clear in my family and my parents both came to parenthood with their own baggage that had been dumped on them from their own parents, you know, all generational stuff of, of different, differing things, not all just body stuff, but one of those things was definitely body stuff. Um, and in my family, it was made very clear that women should be thin, that women should flatter the world with their thinness. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> um, that, that was just never going to be the case for me and my sister. We were never going to be slips of things we weren't going to be willowy wisps no, none of that you know sort of strong farming stock families uh, family um I'm being obviously I'm being flippant but I I hated my body when I was growing up I had eating disorders I yo-yoed in weight and I've always thought I wish that I had parents that were more positive about my body but listening to this question and listening to you speak Kate I also now wonder if that would have made a difference anyway maybe but probably the thing that I was being influenced as you said more by was the environment that I was in at school all of the girls around me who I perceived as having some kind of um, cultural and social and physical capital that I just could not access and I never felt I would be able to, and that this gave them certain privileges in the world that we lived in and in the world as it operated around us. The, the biggest one being, of course, was popularity and attention from the boys. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't have mattered if I'd gone home and had a mother that said, well, you're beautiful and perfect just the way that you are and let's go for a walk together and focus on how strong our bodies feel. I think I would have appreciated that as an adult, later on, I would have appreciated being able to reflect on that, but it certainly wouldn't have changed the way that I felt at the time, which was everything in my life hinges on the opinions of the people that I go to school with and, and the perception that I have of, of that male gaze that we were talking about before, that sort of the panopticon that girls all operate in where we constantly feel like people are looking at us and judging us because they fucking are. Yeah, completely. And I think what you don't realise when you're in there as a teenager, that regardless of your size, people that you think feel great about themselves because you would do anything to look like them and have their body, they're also experiencing a world that 
is telling them they're not enough and diet culture feeds on everyone feeling inadequate and and like they're not enough exactly and you I every week so we have a six-week holiday over summer from school and every six-week holiday I would think I've got six weeks now I'm going to lose weight I'm going to everyone no one will recognize me when I go back to school in September it's going to change my life everyone's going to fancy me the teachers will take me more seriously everything will just be transformed and um there's definitely privileges for having uh, a body that aligns close to our beauty standards. I don't want to dismiss that at all. And also, even though I have a fat body, my body has lots and lots of privilege as well. Um, but it wasn't going to solve everything. <laughs> it wasn't going to, even if I'd gone back uh looking how I imagined in my head it wasn't going to make a difference to how I felt on the inside um I had to my self-worth had to come from somewhere other than what size my body was and how other people felt about my body and that's a complicated big thing to learn I think that some of the things that I wish that I felt more than was that the things that I was interested in and excited about were interested and exciting to other people so Mm -hmm. um if if uh so my brother played football he was a goalkeeper um and we as a family would all go and watch him every Saturday morning and every Sunday morning and conversation around the dinner table would be about how fantastic he was and he was going to be a a professional footballer and and all of this stuff and if that level of excitement had been about um absolutely anything that I was doing in my life that would have been great as well because I was involved in some really cool things that I look back on now and think I'm really proud of that and and kind of have settled into as an adult um but I wonder whether some of the self-worth things isn't that someone saying um, your body might not look like that, but you're still really special. It's been very specific about, oh, I love the way that you think about things. I I mm. love that you've done this or, you know, just being really interested in the multifaceted parts of people's personality. So it's not all just focused on this one thing. Mm. I think it would have been great to have more of that. I know that with me, you know, so I had the experience of um, just a little content note uh, for talk about rapid weight loss. Um, I was always a stockier child, um, chubby, and I'm trying not to use words that have negatives associated with them but of course the problem is that we associate negatives with them as opposed to using them as descriptors so I was a chubby child uh was made to feel at some point I I became aware that that was a bad thing to be um and then of course I entered adolescence and at 13 I was a chubby teenager um and all of these girls around me were having these beautiful what I perceived to be beautiful transformations. You know, they'd entered the cocoon of weird, awkward preteen stage and they'd emerged wonderful, beautiful, thin butterflies. Um, And I, 
I did develop an eating disorder and I became ex- incredibly obsessed with my weight and I dropped an, a huge amount of weight in a very short period of time. And I, I did that thing, you know, where in, it didn't, wasn't six weeks, but it was three months where I, I, I emerged. I had the transformation. Mm-hmm. I was, and I was very thin and it didn't really change anything. You know, I was weirdly, when I reflect on it, I remember still being grateful, still being grateful that I, that I was finally thin, even though I was, I was actually so much less happy. You know, I I wrote in my book that it was, for me, it was personally, it's easy to become thin if you, if you brutalize yourself if you completely deny and torment yourself every day and become obsessed with your body and obsessed with every single thing that you put in your mouth, it is for some of us easy to become thin, but it fucking destroys your brain and it, it is staying thin that destroys your life. And I didn't, like, I didn't come out of that with the perfect life that I always imagined. I didn't become you know, the most popular girl in school. I didn't have literally no more boys than before asked me out, which was zero to zero. Um, (laughs) And I, and the negative side of it was that as opposed to before when I was just marginally obsessed with myself and now I was completely obsessed with myself and completely obsessed in that narcissistic sense of like you're the biggest piece of shit at the centre of the universe, you know. Um, so I feel like, unfortunately, with this question, there is, well, like as pretty much with every question that gets submitted to this podcast, there's no easy answer. Like we can't just say, oh, mama, do this and this will happen. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the best part about this question and, and this little sister who submitted it is that she does obviously deeply care for her daughter. And as you said, she's trying to institute really healthy ways of thinking. Um, but unfortunately what she might need to do is just hold space for her daughter as she goes through this and be there to support her in whatever way she wants, um, to definitely not behave in a way that might cause her to retreat from you by, by focusing too much on repeating those things of you're beautiful and healthy, just the way you are. Like, because sometimes you can hear those things too much. And then you just start tuning them out and you feel like my parents don't understand me. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you've had, you know, little sister slash mother who has submitted this question, if you've had yet a really candid conversation with your daughter about what it is that she, that she how she sees her body, what mm-hmm. she thinks she will achieve by reaching this summer body. What is it that she wants from that? And instead of responding in this kind of um in a way that she will perceive to be hostile or uh it, it could be like in conflict or resistant you know like typical mum be really open with her and say I'm, I'm listening to you and I understand that these things are important to you and that this is this is what this is what you're feeling and this is how you're suffering in this way or this is what you imagine might happen how would you like me to support you in this because what I can tell you is that one of my boundaries will be that I need to be, I need to be able to intervene if I think that you're being, you're engaging in unhealthy practices. Mm-hmm. That sounds extremely healthy and, and helpful. 
I I did um feel similarly when they were talking about the the summer body thing that I would have wanted to say what does that mean what what is the change why is the change and I guess uh with a lot of hindsight I I would and I don't know how you would do this because like you say it's about space it's not about bombarding someone with all these answers but kind of my growth and my journey is that I've wasted a lot of time waiting for my body to be perfect to be able to do a lot of stuff and if it's about enabling all of those things to happen this summer for her uh, regardless of her size I think that would be an amazing message to get that you don't have to wait for your body to look a certain way to enjoy life and to be happy and to feel great about yourself and I'm yeah. certainly in a place where I don't want to waste any more time. That's been one of the most powerful things that I've read from a lot of um, fat positivity and body positivity advocates is the point at which they, you know, for a lot of them, for a lot of the ones that I follow, they'll share a post where there's a point at which they have realised all of the things, as you said, that they were waiting for. I was waiting to wear the jeans when I reached the perfect size. I was waiting to buy new clothes when I lost 10 kilos or I was waiting to like go on the romantic date when I when I knew that I would feel confident in bed or whatever and you just can't keep waiting for your life to begin because that those things will happen or they won't happen but like I know it sounds trite but to the to this mother and to the daughter and perhaps maybe you Perhaps you could convince her to listen to this episode with you as well, maybe listen to it first and then convince her to listen to it with you. Like I understand that desire to um, want to imagine a perfect Cinderella life for yourself and want to imagine what it will be, how much different life will be if you just lost five kilos. And And I experienced that because as we've repeated so often in this particular episode, we've all been conditioned by patriarchy and part of patriarchy is shifting the goalposts on women so that we can never, ever achieve this perfect ideal that we're told we must achieve in order to be truly happy, in order to have a man recognise us and notice us and achieve true happiness. In fact, in order to come to life under the admiring gaze of his eyes. But that process is not going to happen in six weeks It's not going to happen in a summer. It's not going to happen in a year because as you and I both know as women in our 30s now and as this mother will know, that stuff is just happening all throughout our life that we are always feeling like there is something that we want to change or some process towards self-love that we have to go through and we have to kind of wrestle and reckon with in ourselves. And, And as you have the experience of that, then these horrible, awful things could happen to you and then you have to navigate trauma in a completely different way. Yeah, 100%. I I still feel sad and, and shame about some of the things that I've missed out on that for myself but also for the the people around me. And I, um, I think one of the slides that you saw is uh, my friend were my best friend from being little 
it was her Hindu and um they were going to do some orienteering and I just I I was so consumed with being the fattest person there the fit unfittest person there the fact that no one would want me on their team to do this um orienteering that I just I couldn't go and what, and what a horrible thing that you wouldn't be there for such a special occasion in your best friend's life and I missed out and I feel like she missed out which sounds really um did you're not the way that I wanted it to but um I I still feel really ashamed of that and that that reasoning to an extent she's going through this because this is what adolescence does to girls in particular and so all you really need to do is just be there with her as she goes through it and reassure her in the best way that you can without being overbearing try and do what it is that you're doing but as you said look for the look for the things that you may not be noticing and I guess sort of it's like I think about when your kid starts to walk you know and you're sort of like walking behind them and kind of not wanting to hold them as they walk but you have your hands sort of behind them so they can't see you but just there in case they fall back Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what you need to do is just accept that she may fall on this journey, this particular journey. She may fall a few times or she may stumble into something or she may take a wrong turn. But you kind of just need to be there behind her, steering her a little bit or just holding your hands there in case she falls too far. Yeah, exactly. And this is not something that like kind of your body image and your self-worth, that's something that will we'll all be working on for all of our lives so it makes sense that there's no kind of do this and it will be fixed (laughs) because patriarchy is fucked (laughs) we conclude You've been listening to The Big Sister Hotline, a weekly advice podcast that delivers no-nonsense words with love from the kind of people you know have your back, your big sisters. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you look for great content. And you can also listen to all the back episodes. If you like the show, then I would love for you to consider rating and reviewing it. I love to read the feedback, but also it does help to push the podcast up into the eyes and ears of other listeners and little sisters. If you enjoy the hotline as well, you can support the ongoing making of it at my Patreon, which is www.patreon.com forward slash Clementine Ford, where pledges of more than $10 per month receive access to a bonus monthly episode of the hotline, only available for download to subscribers. If you have a question, you can submit it to bigsisterhotline at gmail.com. And don't worry, all submissions are treated as totally anonymous. Big sisters, got your back. My guest this week has been Kate from 30 Something Single, Instagrammer. Uh, dating activist, uh, chorraler of women everywhere, incredible human being. Kate, it has been an absolute pleasure and thrill to have talked to you for almost two hours. So I'm going to have to do a very big edit on this. Oh, thank you. It's such a privilege um, to be invited and to talk. And um, it's just really exciting to be able to talk about things that I feel so passionately about so thank you for the opportunity to be here i've been doing this for 11 months and i was never expecting to have a thousand followers never mind 14,000 followers and um 
if people want to follow me, if people want to tell their, uh, their heterosexual men in their life that they should be following me, that would be great as well. I only have 4% uh, of men following me. Um, so I, I think some of what I say could uh, land quite well or be useful at landing in some heterosexual man's ears. It's a very weird way to say that. It's true though. I mean, it's it's astonishing how few men, I say this all the time, that men express so little curiosity in the lives of women. And there's this, like men are always like, oh, it's just so impossible to know what women are thinking. They're so confused. Like, how do you know what women want? And you're like, there's literally, we live in an age of internet. There are literally... <laughs> So many fucking avenues for you to find out what women think. Oh, so confusing. What do they want? What do they yeah. want? I don't know. Yeah. So come and follow me if you're a heterosexual man, um, and then don't slide into my DMs. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> Pardon? None of them listen to this show either. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, for the three that maybe are, when you do come and follow me, don't slide into my DMs and say. <gasps> I'm so shocked that you're treated like this. I cannot believe that other men behave like this. I never would. Because <laughs> what I'll say to you is, well, if it's not you, it's definitely your brothers and your mates. So tell them all to follow me uh, um, and have these conversations with them because we all know men like that. So you must as well. <laughs> Remember, there's no topic too thorny and no question too weird for the Big Sister Hotline. We're here for all the questions you don't want to ask your therapist, especially now that it has to be over Zoom. So contact us instead, the Big Sister Hotline. The phone lines are open. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 